Welcome to the No Huddle Show podcast. I'm Eagles beat reporter Mike K here for NJ.com. I'm joined by my co-host and fellow Eagles beat reporter Chris Franklin. Chris, how you doing today? Doing great. It's uh, uh, seems like I'm saying this over and over again, but yeah, it's another eventful few days that's happened going on. My goodness, it's been crazy. Yeah, you know, um, we're doing an extra podcast this week because there's so much bad news. You know, when when does it get better for the Eagles? Uh, first off, yesterday was the Eagles' annual stadium scrimmage. Uh, got a lot of notes off that. You can check that on nj.com slash Eagles. But the big news to come out of this whole thing, well, actually two news stories. One, Carson Wentz didn't participate in the scrimmage because he has a minor soft tissue injury. I've been told that the Eagles are not concerned about this. He should be good for week one. There's nothing really to worry about. The other major news and more concerning news is Jalen Rager suffered a slight tear, reportedly suffered a slight tear in his shoulder uh, during the scrimmage. Uh, He ran down the sideline. Jalen Hurts threw him a pass. Avante Maddox broke it up. Uh, Will Parks caught the ball for an interception. Rager tried to be a team player and and treated it like a live drill and tackled Parks and fell to the ground. He came up holding his his left arm, uh, got an MRI, revealed a slight tear, according to multiple reports. Um, And he's expected to miss the season opener, if not longer. So the Eagles are in this spot where just when they feel good about the wide receiver position, they're kind of really trying to figure out the depth chart moving forward. Because if you really think about it, Rager sidelined. Uh, Quez Watkins, the six-round pick who's flashed during training camp, is also sidelined with an upper body injury. And then Alshon Jeffrey, we don't know if he's going to start the season on the pup list, but if he does, he's going to miss the first six games of the season. If he doesn't, he's still probably going to be a an inactive during the first couple of weeks of the season as he recovers from Liz Frank surgery and gets his footing, uh, no pun intended, under him as he as he looks to recover and have a comeback season. So if that's the case, you're probably only looking at four healthy wide receivers on the main roster. That would be Deshaun Jackson, who's an injury risk, uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who's looked brilliant in training camp, but still is coming off one of the worst rookie wide receiver seasons in recent Eagles memory. Uh, you've got John Hightowers, a fifth round rookie who has been a highlight reel um, throughout training, who's put on his own highlight reel throughout training camp. But you don't know if he can make that extend over to games just yet. And then you've got Greg Ward, who played six really good games in the stretch last season, but he's still kind of a, an unknown in the sense of, yeah, he did well when he was in there, but he was also the number one target and maybe he benefited from the fact that Carson Wentz constantly targeted him. So the Eagles are in this situation where, you know, as they approach cutdown day, they might need a maneuver around the roster and maybe keep an extra wide receiver like Deontay Burnett, who's looked very good as well. Uh, as they kind of plot out this roster, the COVID-19 uh, effect on the injured reserve makes this also an interesting Uh, situation because there are several lists to play into it via the pup injured reserve and and more and so that's what we're going to talk about right now Chris what's your what's your take on the wide receiver group as it stands right now with Rager Quez Watkins and Alshon Jeffrey up in the air I think when you look at this position heading into training camp 
and you saw the possibilities with the speed that the new guys such as Watkins, Hightower, and Rager were bringing to this offense, it made it feel like as if it was like, hey, you know what? This offense can be really dynamic. And now heading into week one against Washington, I'm really concerned. The main two of those guys right there, when it comes to Watkins and Rager, two of those two guys were supposed to be your speed guys. You still have to show on Jackson, but they were supposed to be the guys that went ahead and kept those safeties back, allowing more room for Ertz and Goddard to work underneath uh, Jeffrey or Arcega White. Jeffrey, when he comes back, and Arcega Whiteside to also work underneath as well, too. Now you just have Deshaun Jackson, who has his own injury questions when it comes to there, if he can stay healthy for a full 16 games. So I'm feeling really, really concerned when it comes to this. And I think there's another thing that another uh, not a lot of people are going to be talking about now is when it comes to the kick return game. Rager was back there taking a majority of the first team kick return uh, catches. I know you have Corey Clement's done it before. I know you have Greg Watkins before, but when is the last time the Eagles truly had a dangerous that you knew was going to go take one back to the house? I know Darren Sproles was back, did that when he was like, there's Chick Kelly's, but it seemed like as the older he got, that threat declined just a little bit. It was nice to say, hey, you know what? He's back there. He can go ahead and make a man miss, and then he goes from there. But the problem is, you didn't have that for the last the first for the last few years with Rager. You had that opportunity. So, looking at the way this roster goes now, do you go ahead and bring a Deontay Burnett on? He's he's done really well when it came to the last the, this last week of camp. He's been performing well. Hightower, as you mentioned beforehand, he's looked great when it comes to working around on the outside and and making that leaping those leaping catches. And he also brings a little bit of speed, but that's in practice. You never, haven't seen him do it in a game yet, so that's going to be interesting to see as well too. Or do you even bring Killens now? Do you have to make two moves now in order to do that? Because do you want to give Killens a chance? Because he's been another person that's been back there practicing kick returns. Do you put him on the roster? And then does that affect somewhere else along the line? So there's so many questions, and it's so concerning now. And it's going to be a tough choice for GM Howie Roseman to make. And this is why I love having you join me on the podcast, is you bring up an excellent point that I was going to acknowledge too. And I think it's really interesting it's not just the wide receivers who are affected by this. It's the the special teams. And I think when you look at, um, you know, how this roster is constructed, you know, yeah, Greg Ward can return punts. That's fine. You know, he can field them. Um, you know that a guy like um, Boston Scott can return kicks, but can they be super effective? Can they be weapons in their own right? And that's what Rager is to the special teams game. Now, I think from a wide receiver perspective, if Rager is missing the first two games of the season, I think they can get by as long as Deshaun Jackson stays healthy. Uh, if you remember week one uh, against Washington last year, Deshaun and Carson Wentz blew up after, after the second quarter. So I think it was like eight catches for 154 yards and two touchdowns. Like they lit the place on fire at the length. So um, I'm not concerned about Washington. I think Washington's roster is pretty bad. I, I do have some concerns about blocking uh, Chase Young, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, look, I think JJ single Whiteside deserves some leniency in the opinion. I think. I was one of the few people that didn't just like outright bury him uh, after last year. Some look wide receivers, a tough position. You, you've got to learn to get off press. You've got to learn multiple positions. You've got to, you know, 
move around the lineup, you know, he was put in a really rough spot. They didn't really use him to his strengths. They just used him as a wide receiver. So I think, you know, when we saw in training camp, they're using him to his strengths. They're using him like Stanford used him. They're having him run crossers. Uh, They take advantage of his size. They're doing a lot of jump balls. They're using him in the red zone. I think that's how he can be productive as an X receiver. Uh, If you look at Alshon Jeffrey, he's effective in similar ways. So I think if our single white side has to be the starting X for the first two weeks, I think you feel a little bit more confident. He knows the playbook. He's looked good in training camp. He, he looks physically as good as we've ever seen him. And I think he's ready. I think mentally he's in a much better place than he was last year. I, the, the concern is depth, right? Because I think what you're going to see is you're going to see Deshaun Jackson at Z. You're going to see J.J. or single white side at X. And you're going to see Greg Ward in the slot. I think John Hightower is your backup for both outside positions because he is so smart and he can play multiple positions uh, as a rookie. I think you're going to see him spell uh, Deshaun Jackson when he needs, you know, a breather or when they want to stretch the field and have two speedsters on the field with Deshaun and Hightower. Um, you know, I think that rotation could work at X with Hightower and our single wide side. And then, you know, you got Greg Ward in the slot who needs to take another step forward in order to make the most of that move. Um it, we, I talked about earlier how there's a bunch of lists. So let's go over those lists. Now, injured reserve, if a guy gets placed on injured reserve before the deadline to cut down the roster to 53, he is done for the season. Now, if he can make it past the initial 53-man roster cut down, he can then be placed on IR for three weeks uh, and then come off. Now, that might be an option for Jalen Rager, but then you risk putting a, another player on you know, waivers during final cuts. Uh, There's also a possibility that he could be recovered in time for week three. So you don't necessarily want to put him on IR for that time. That said, you know, we talk about PUP. If Alshon Jeffrey comes off PUP uh, and is unable to play for the first few weeks, I'm I'm wondering if the Eagles can place him on IR for, for three weeks. I don't know if you can go from pop to IR like that. Um, but again, you're going to have to have him active on that 53-man roster to have him available for that, that situation. So you're going to have to cut another player to make that possible. There's also the fact that this year you can, well, starting this year, you can elevate two players from the practice squad on a weekly basis. Uh, also, the active roster becomes bigger. It goes from 46 to 48. That might be how they're able to get another body at the wide receiver position on the active roster. You look at Deontay Burnett, who could probably sneak through waivers. He's bounced around the league a little bit. Remember, he's only 22, and he's looked really good in camp. He's younger than he's two years younger than John Hightower, which is crazy if you think about it. So, like, I think if if they go into Week One with Jackson or Sickle Whiteside, Hightower, Ward, and Burnett, they feel somewhat good. Uh, you know. Because if you think about it, they were going to go into week one depending on three rookies to begin with. Now they only have to depend on one rookie and some guys with experience that know the offense that have been around for a bit. Um, if you're really looking at it, you know, Burnett was here last year for a bit. Our single white side was here all last year. Jackson was here all last year. Ward's been in the system for three years. Like those guys have experience in the system. Hightower is the one newbie who could be there in week one. And I remember making a comparison with Rager to Macklin. I thought he would have like kind of a Macklin-like year where Macklin was kind of like slow to start and then, um, you know, kind of progress and have a great season. 
Uh, Macklin missed his week one game. They, he was a healthy scratch because the Eagles were trying to bring him along. But the sixth round pick that year, Brandon Gibson actually played. So this is kind of like a weird twist of fate sort of sort of scenario here. But as I talk, you know, we talk about twist of fate. Andre Dillard, um, who has received heaps of criticism for la- for the last week of practice, as well as you know his struggles as a rookie. He's out for the season with the torn biceps. Not a great look. Uh, but the Eagles now need a new left tackle. And apparently, uh, according to Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer, Jason Peters, who's playing right guard, wants more money to play left tackle. Now, that's an interesting look because he definitely has some leverage. There's always you know, a benefit to asking for a raise when you get a promotion and play a more important position. But Chris, how do you feel about this whole situation with Jason Peters and Andre Dillard going on? Well, the one thing I was really charting during the scrimmage yesterday was the performance of Matt Pryor, Prince Tega, Tega Winogo, Ugh, say that five times fast, and also Jack Driscoll. A couple of names that Doug Peterson had brought up during his press conference on Saturday as people who could potentially be in the running for that left tackle position. and. After seeing everything that happened yesterday, I think the Eagles are in a tough position and may have to pay Jason Peters or get, at least give him a bump in his base salary because Matt Pryor, albeit he's a really he has the potential to be a really good guard in this league, or maybe as a right tackle as a pinch, but as a left tackle, the main, probably the second most, if not second most or third most important position on the team. I wouldn't trust him to go ahead and protect Carson Wentz's blind side because you may basically be changing your whole entire season, losing Wentz if you let him go that way. His footwork was – he's still working on his footwork to be play that position. And Josh Sweat basically, yeah, I would say at times, embarrassed him yesterday. It was, it was, it was rough to see. Pr- Prince, he's still very, very raw when it comes to his, his talent. He, he has athleticism, but he, like – like beforehand, we said with Matt Pryor, his footwork definitely needs to be that. That definitely needs some work. There was a play, I believe it was Casey Twohill, went to his outside, got him to overcommit, and then just quickly went on the inside, the quickest route to the quarterback. And it, it, you can't have stuff like that happening when it comes there. I think when you look at overall, it Peters has the most experience there. I know that they wanted him just, they signed him just to play right guard, but looking at the way his footwork goes the way he goes hey he the knowledge of that position you're definitely going to go have to go ahead and go peters because if not you're going to have to rethink possibly your whole entire offensive strategy but all the i will say this all the guys that have that will potentially play or in that running are good at run blocking which is great because you go ahead office alignment love to go ahead they love to be the aggressors they love to go ahead and move forward but if you have to go to pass blocking are you mean to tell me that you're going to feel comfortable with the way Matt Pryor, Prince Tega, Monogo, or possibly a Jack Driscoll are going to be on left on the left side, or even I didn't even mention Jordan Mailata? <laughs> are you going to be comfortable with those guys protecting Carson Wentz for four or five seconds in order to go ahead and get the, the ball downfield to Deshaun Jackson? I wouldn't feel comfortable with doing that right now. And if you decide to go with one of those guys, you're looking at a lot of stuff we saw at the end of last year. You're looking at the real methodical drives. Just, the short pass, the quick screens, which is an extension of the run game, the 
three-step drops and everything else, which allows safeties. They start to see that you're going to bring, you're going to possibly cause some more issues with your run game because you're going to start bringing safeties up because everybody knows that you don't have enough time to go in and block it. So at this time, you pro- I probably say you have to pay. I wouldn't give them $10 million. I wouldn't give them $15 million. I wouldn't pay them like a top three tackle. But at this time, you're going to have to go ahead and give them a bump, enough of a bump to go ahead and say, hey, you know what, Jason? You got to go to the left, left side because if not, it's going to be, it could be a long season, a long season, especially facing Chase Young week one. Yeah, uh, I wrote prior to the scrimmage that I didn't think the Eagles should pay him. Uh, I, I thought they shouldn't touch his contract. If you want to guarantee the $6 million that he can make up to incent, in incentives, fine, whatever. And maybe that's what he actually wants. I get it. But I would not add money to his contract. I just wouldn't. I think $6 is fine. Um, right now, he'd be paid as the 30th highest paid left tackle. Obviously, that's underpaid. But he's also had his contract re- reworked like six times since joining the Eagles. He's made over $100 million for this franchise. He had absolutely no market prior to signing with the Eagles in July. They brought him in to play guard. Here's my issue with this whole thing. You already knew what Andre Dillard was. You knew that he had struggles as a rookie. You knew that there was some you know, questions and concerns about his mental stability as far as being able to process playing in Philadelphia and being able to take that next step. You knew that he had growth that he needed to accomplish. You knew that there was a possibility that as the best left tackle on the roster, there was a chance that you could be moved to left tackle. Why not make your incentives that much better before signing the contract? I have no issue with Jason Peters asking for more money. I have no issue with, you know, him seeking better security after moving to a more important position. My issue is the guy is now leveraging the Eagles' bad luck to get a bump, as opposed to, you know, when he signed here, the the narrative was that he was being a team guy. He was willing to play right guard. He was willing to sign on the cheap. Well, why does that suddenly change? Uh, you know, you look at what the new CBA allows you to do, and really you can't hold out, or you're basically just throwing away money. So he's holding in, he's playing right guard still. To me, that gives the Eagles the leverage to say, you know what, fine, if you want to screw up this season and you don't want to answer to your teammates and you're watching Carson get killed on on Sundays, fine, whatever. You can live with that and you can talk to your teammates about it. Like to me, it is selfish, but I also understand the business aspect of it. That's why I didn't kill Peters in my column the other day. I just think from the Eagles' perspective, if you wait this out, cooler heads will prevail. If you want to guarantee the $6 million, fine. Uh, that's not really a big deal because ideally he would hit those incentives anyway by being there for all 16 games. That said, I think what the problem is right now is even if you do put Peters there, what happens when he inevitably suffers an injury? Is there a guy who can step up in his place? I, if you don't feel comfortable with Pryor or Melata or Driscoll starting at left tackle, well, guess what? They're probably going to have to, one of them's probably going to have to start at least a game or play some notable minutes in an important game down the stretch because Peters has this history of leaving games. He has a history of injuries. So it's like, why not give those guys reps to see who should be the guy if Peters were to go down? Maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe they're trying to call 
Peter's Bluff. But like from this outlook, they need to really scour the waiver wire. They really need to focus on maybe guys who are tradable that could be added, who have some experience, who they feel somewhat comfortable with. Even as a swing tackle, you could still pay Peters and move him to left tackle, but they need, I've said this several times on this podcast, they need a legitimate upgrade behind the starting left tackle as the backup left tackle. We all know Matt Pryor can play right tackle. We all know Driscoll can play right tackle. We all know that Pryor can play guard and Driscoll can play guard. We know that Nate Herbig can play center and guard. We know Isaac Samalu can move over to center. They do not have a guy who can either start at left tackle or be an emergency fill-in at left tackle. They do not have a natural swing tackle on this roster, so they have to be able to, you know, kind of cover their bases there. Um, And speaking of the waiver wire, big news out of Jacksonville, my former stomping grounds, the hashtag K-Pipeline. Leonard Fournette was released. Uh, The former top five pick was drafted in 2017. Um, He's played 36 career games, rushed for over 2,600 yards. Last year, he added, you know, receiving to his his arsenal. Uh, He caught over 72 passes for like 530 yards. Uh, They kind of force-fed him the ball. He wasn't a great receiver. He didn't really make a lot of people miss after the catch. Um, his, his receiving numbers per catch were really low. That said, I don't think he's a fit here. Uh, for one, I don't think from a character concern standpoint, this guy has constantly caused a, a ruckus on social media. And as we all know in Philly from this offseason, social media can get you in a lot of trouble. Um, I was also covering the team in 2017 when the Eagles basically suspended him for a game for skipping out on a team meeting and a team photo. Um, you know, he's been arrested for driving with a suspended license. Like he's dealt with a lot of stuff and he's a bit of a head case, but on top of all that, he's not a great runner out of shotgun. And he's also a guy who's most effective when the offense is built around him. He's not a supporting character type player. He's an old school grounded pound momentum running back. He's going to get you a carry of minus one yards, a carry of two yards, a carry of minus two yards, a carry of three yards, a carry of four yards, a carry of six yards, a carry of minus five, a carry of minus four, a carry of four, a quarter, you know, like he's going to do all that throughout the game. And at the end of the game, he'll break one for 70. He's a guy that needs to be built up. And unfortunately, I don't think he's good enough to warrant that type of uh, perspective in an offense. I don't think he's a very good rotational player. I also don't think he's a terrific influence necessarily on our young running back. I think Miles Sanders is significantly more talented and and versatile. Uh, I like Boston Scott. I really like what Corey Clement did this year. I just don't see the fit. What about you, Chris? I actually, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think when you look at his past, not only with off the field issues, but his availability. How many times have we seen him leave this that he's done for a season or he misses significant time due to an injury? I think when you look what when you weigh what he could potentially bring to this team versus what you have to go ahead and and you see in personality and the character stuff that's happened, I he's somebody that you just do not need around this team right now. I think we like and you mentioned this the current depth that the running back position. I think Sanders will be okay. I think Sanders has the ability to be a top 10 back in this league. I think when you look at other like Boston Scott, there's so much potential with him when it comes to catching the ball out the backfield. And I think he's an underrated running back when it comes to just running 
off tackle or even dive, stuff like that, traps and everything else. I think he's underrated. So I think when you look at what you have there and the, the emergence of even Elijah Holyfield, I think he, I, I'd probably go ahead and say he's a good chance, to, has a good chance to make this roster. When you look at him, Holyfield, Clement, Sand, it, when you look at that, a way would Fournette really be a good person to add or replace one of those? I can't see somebody who I would right now go ahead and take off take off that roster just for Fournette. I, I, and you mentioned the shotgun issues, and I, I remember seeing that in the past. I mean, he, he's not worth for lack of better words, he's not worth the hassle. And I think you should go ahead and just roll with what you have right now, which is actually probably the deep one of the, if not the deepest, one of the deepest positions you have on this team right now. And you know, we should say this. There's a reason why a team cuts a former top five pick who has 2,000 yard rushing uh, seasons um, and really has been like the beacon of hope in their offense. You know, there's clearly an issue. Uh, Jaguars coach Doug Marone said today that they couldn't get anything for him. They, they tried to trade him for a fifth or a sixth round pick for one running backs on $4.1 million salaries don't really have a lot of appeal, even if they are thousand yard rushers. If a team is willing to trade a guy for pennies after he was just drafted three years ago in the top five, um, you probably want to stay away. So on top of that, now he's on the waiver wire. The Eagles have the 21st priority on the waiver wire and they need to roll over as much cap space as possible. We've seen reports of them be showing interest in Carlos Hyde, who signed with Seattle for only $1.5 million. We saw reports of them having interest in LaShawn McCoy, who signed with uh, Tampa Bay for a million dollars. The Eagles clearly don't want to pay a running back. And so to bring in a guy who's making going to make four times what LaShawn McCoy makes, I just don't see it, especially if he's a rotational guy. I don't see him as being a guy who is a number one back in this league anymore at least in the, the prototypical sense. Um, and, you know, to me, he's just Cadillac Williams with an attitude problem. He always has been. And uh, I, it's just, you know, he's a, he's a back from another date and time. Um, I think there is some upside to him. I think he's a really good pass blocker. I think, you know, if you're a ground and pound old school team that plays a lot under center, then go for it. If you're in an I formation, typically go for it. If you have a fullback, go for it. He's a guy that I could see, you know, going to New England and, and reestablishing himself. I think he's a guy that's worth rooting for. He does a lot of stuff in the Louisiana community. I think, it, you know, yes, he's been a distraction and a problem in the Jaguars locker room. I'm not going to call him a cancer because that's not what he was, but he has been a distraction. He has been somewhat of a, of a negative influence in there. The coaching staff didn't really seem to like him very much either. So I, I think when you're looking at Leonard Fournette, he's probably meant for another locker room, uh, a locker room without a true number one running back and a locker room that can kind of build around him. And I don't think that's what the Eagles are. So moving on from that, um, you know, I want to step away from football a little bit. I know we're a football show, but we spoke to Jeffrey Lurie for the first time in over a year on on Sunday and he was just I mean he was dropping you know just quote after quote like I mean if you're a fan of wrestling you know about the CM Punk pipe bomb promo he just really I mean he cut a, a WWE promo for like 50 minutes 
um, and said some really uh, thought-provoking things. So, you know, just going over, you know, Chris wrote a phenomenal piece that you should check out on NJ.com about how he related to what Jeffrey Lurie said about uh, there being two pandemics in the country. One is obviously coronavirus and the other is systemic racism. And um, I thought Chris really articulated well his own personal experiences. But, you know, um, I wrote this morning about like the takeaways from this press conference. I'll just go over them quickly. And then I want Chris to kind of weigh in on what he said, Um, not just on systemic racism, but overall. So Lurie spoke about the NBA's kind of demonstration of postponing games. He said that he is not worried about the potential of the NFL missing games due to a boycott. Uh, He believes that the players will do what's best. Uh, He applauded the NBA for what they did, but he also thinks that if you're going to do something, it has to be with action involved with it. Like it has to lead to a solution. Lurie also said that he wants fans back in the stands. Obviously the link uh, for right now will not have fans in the stands. The state of Pennsylvania and the city of Philadelphia have both issued um, statements saying that as of now, they will not let fans in the stands. The NFL and the Eagles are doing everything they can to find the proper testing to maybe help, you know, isolate, you know, having to have fans out of the stands for the entire season. Lori basically ruled out having fans in the stands in September, but didn't rule it out for the season. Um, He also says that, that players, owners are listening to players more than ever. Uh, Lori has spoken to a small group of NFL owners, and he gets the sense that the owners are committed to trying to find a way to create positive change. Um, Lori dropped another bomb when he said the NFL probably didn't listen to Colin Kaepernick well enough. In 2016, he said the league could have listened more to Kaepernick's message about social injustice when he decided to protest before games during the national anthem in 2016. Um Lori also stressed how important it is to vote this year. He said that he would open up the link to service the election for polling places if necessary. Um, As I said before, he discussed how systemic racism is a pandemic in our country. Um, He brought up the the murders of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and said that when stuff like this happens, he pictures people that he knows or famous people that... um, he tries to relate to them in that sense. Um, You know, he brought up Kobe Bryant, he brought up Chadwick Boseman, who he later quoted in the press conference. Um, He said that he is pleased with Deshaun Jackson's progress since he made some offensive social media posts that erroneously quoted uh, Nazi party leader Adolf Hitler. He said that it's an ongoing process and Jackson will continue to be evaluated. Lurie dropped a lot of uh, nuggets on the country's handling of COVID. He compared the daily uh, fatalities in the United States to five Boeing 737s crashing daily. He called the country's COVID numbers a tragic embarrassment. And he said that the handling of the virus has led to needless deaths. Uh, Lurie has donated over a million dollars to COVID research since the pandemic started. Uh, In football news, he also said the Eagles want to have a top five offense so that they can have the best shot at winning a Super Bowl. That led to the firings of Mike Groh and Carson Walsh uh, this offseason. But, you know, as I talk about all this stuff, Laurie didn't waste a word in this. I don't want to call it a diatribe, but he did not waste a word in this press conference. Uh, he made us all wait a year to talk more than a year to talk to him. And man, did he make it worth it. Chris, I know this is your first time getting to be in a press conference with with the owner. 
what did you take away, not just his thoughts on systemic racism, but his other thoughts in general? I thought he was, for what he said, everything in general, I thought he was forthcoming uh, and open, which is refreshing. I mean, how many times do we hear when a lot of the owners, whenever they actually do speak, is it a canned response? Is it like Josh Harris, where he just goes ahead, puts a statement on a notepad and tweets it out to everybody with his thoughts on a coach, stuff like that. It's it's really it's really refreshing to see somebody in that position, especially in the NFL, speak openly about his thoughts and, and convey. And whether you agree with it or not, it, it's it should be something that what is what he said or not, it should be something that more owners should be willing to do especially with the amount of time, uh, energy, and, and dedication a lot of the fan, fans of the different te- 32 teams around the NFL put into their, into their team. So I thought that was, overall, that was just great as a whole. Uh, getting to some of the stuff that he talked about, first off, thank, thank you, Mike, for uh, mentioning the article earlier. I think he said a lot of things that I agreed with. I think he hit the nail that nail on the head on a lot of stuff when it comes to systemic racism and the dealings of the coronavirus. I think it was important that it needed to be said. And I hearken back to what Rodney McLeod mentioned last week when he spoke to us and the need for more owners to speak up about some of these issues. And I think when he spoke about that's just those two, but voting, I think there's a lot of and the fact that he he offered Lincoln Financial Field up as a location to vote, I think it's huge. Even if it's stuff that a lot some people may not agree, but at least gets a dialogue started when it comes to these owners, they should go ahead and use their platforms. They should go ahead and speak out and go ahead and share their thoughts and, and not just stick to sports because a lot of these guys, we all know that they had other businesses but ahead of time to be able to get the money to go ahead and purchase these teams. So they have they have different thoughts and they have different ideologies when it comes to the stuff that goes on in the world. And I think they should go ahead and share them. We may not all agree with what they say, but it, it wouldn't hurt to say it. But even for the fact that when he said that some he's spoken to some owners and they agree, but we haven't heard them yet. We need to hear more of what people are, what they're thinking to go ahead and and start moving the needle a little bit in this country. I just personally agree. I thought he did a great job when it comes to that stuff. And I I, I know we only, we only get to speak to him maybe once, maybe twice a year, but I think he, I would like to hear more. It, it, it was a great, it was great to hear him. Yeah, I think, you know, he has perspective. A lot of owners, you know, who, you know, Lurie came into money. He, you know, he, his family has always been wealthy. And I think his ability to kind of relate to other people and people that aren't, you know, in the same financial situation as him is very, you know, I, I don't want to applaud a guy for being able to relate to people who are in a normal situation, but. I, I think he is one of the more forward-thinking owners in the, the league. Um, he's a guy who is willing to accept criticism as well as give it. And I think he put himself kind of on on this platform of owners who are going to not just kind of idly watch as the country kind of, 
you know, has these discussions. He's going to be involved in these discussions. And I think that's important. Also, what's important coming up, you know, from a football sense is final cut down weekend. The Eagles are going to cut down their roster to 53 players by September 5th at 4 p.m. I think that um, from my standpoint, there's only maybe a few positions that really are worth like having a back and forth discussion on as far as like inside the Nevercare complex as to what do you want to do um, next? Our next podcast on Thursday, we are literally going to break down the roster from position to position and debate who we're keeping, who we're not uh, from our own personal perspectives. Um, and then we'll kind of go into who we think the Eagles will keep. So, um, that's always a fun podcast every year. I'm really excited to do it with Chris the first time. Um, right now, let's before we we sign off, let's do a stock watch. Uh, give me three players who you think raise their stock, and give me like kind of short answers as to why during training camp. That is, I'll go with the first on the first thing. I'll go. I'll start with two defensive ends right now. I think when it came to the stock, the stock of both Casey Tuhill. And Josh Sweat, I think they really impressed. I, I think now it could be a product of that uh, <laughs> that offensive line, but it looks like they've. When it comes to Sweat, it looks like he's steadily improved year over year. When it comes to his pass rush ability, he, he's more refined now, and I think that experience has definitely helped him. And two hell as a rookie, he, he he's really shown that quickness off the edge, and especially playing in this wide nine defense, you're going to need pass rushers that come off the edge. And not only have just one move to go ahead and try to get to the quarterback, but can mix it up and go ahead and, and create some problems back there and for quarterbacks. I think that that definitely definitely that did a good job on that. And I think another guy, I know we talked about him earlier. I think Deontay Burnett. I'm really, really liking what he's doing. Um will he make this roster at the end? it's tough to say. It really is tough to say. But when it comes to he's using his hands, I mean and I think that's an important thing when a lot of these receivers, I, it's a it's rough to see a lot of guys, especially when they get to the NFL, try to body catch. Do you try to catch it off off their chest? Uh, we we saw a former receiver uh, a couple times that now is in Las Vegas do that a couple times. It was infuriating, but a lot he has good hands. He's got good speed. He knows the system. The problem is it's just so too many good players at that position. So Burnett's the other one, but I'd probably say two hill. Two Hill, Burnett, and uh, yeah, I'll go with those guys. Um, so I'll do mine really quick. I think a guy who's really up to stock is a guy that you brought up really early on in your tenure in Sean Bradley. I think he's going to be the main backup linebacker uh, behind Duke Riley, Nate Gary, and TJ Edwards. He can play all three positions. He looks good on special teams. I think he's definitely outplayed. Excuse me. I think he's outplayed uh, Davian Taylor, the third round pick. John Hightower is a guy who I came in very high on. I thought his first two days were kind of sloppy. But since then, he's literally been full steam ahead as a highlight machine. I think he's going to have an active role with or without Rager in the lineup this season. I think he could develop into a guy who's a long-term tag team partner uh, for Rager. Uh, if our single white side doesn't work out right now, I think a future of Rager or single white side, Hightower, Quez Watkins, and Greg Ward is 
is pretty appealing, uh, depending on how this year's streak, you know, shakes up. And then I'd say, you know, last but not least, a guy that you brought up earlier, Elijah Holyfield, who was a guy that I didn't think had much of a shot uh, coming into camp. Now I think is definitely going to be the fourth running back if they keep four running backs. Uh, he's got a great story. I think he's run well. He runs hard. He's got good vision. He's got good patience. Um, I think people are going to be surprised if he's able to get some playing time in week one. Um, you know, from there, let's go into our final thoughts. This has been kind of a bit of a longer podcast, but we wanted to make sure that we touch on all injury aspects on, on Jeffrey Lurie, uh, you know, Leonard Fournette news. So um, I think, you know, Leonard Fournette's going to be claimed off waivers by, you know, Tuesday afternoon uh, or he'll become a free agent. So maybe this will be a little bit more dated by then. But I think if you're looking for a reason as to why the Eagles shouldn't or should uh, bring in Fournette, uh, you got some some perspective on that uh, earlier in the podcast. What are your final thoughts, Chris? I think uh, with Carson Wentz uh, being out yesterday, had a good chance to fully see Nate Sudfeld and Jalen Hurts go at it against the defense. And I think that with the performance that Sudfeld had yesterday, I think he truly has solidified himself as the number two quarterback. Who knows what the future holds? He's on. He, this is he's on a free agent, and the Eagles used a second round pick on Hurts, but I think for right now, if God forbid something does happen to Carson Wentz that that force him to miss a significant time, I think Sudfeld can go ahead and be that game manager to keep him keep that offense moving along. Jalen Hurts has a has a really bright future, I think, ahead of him. I, he's he's got the athletic skills to go ahead and do it. He has the arm. There are some parts of his game that he still needs to definitely work on. I think he's still, but it's actually improving. What case in point? He actually he stepped up in the pocket very well. There were times when he still does that. Well, he'll go ahead, roll out the pocket, roll out, turn his back to the defense, and try to make a play with his uh, legs, but could result in a ten yard sack or what have you, and not have a chance to even throw the ball away. I forget what play. I forget how where it was in the thing, but I actually saw him step up in the pocket as he was getting a rush, and he delivered a great twenty yard out. I believe it was. I think it was High Tower, or is he High Tower Burnett? But I think he's coming along, but. With Nate Sudfeld, the way the job that he is doing right right now, after he's had some practices that look bad, but I think overall in game situations, his experience and the arm that he has, I think he solidified himself as the clear number two quarterback on his team. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think you're definitely right there. My closing thoughts are, you know, look, I, I know this. Uh, there's a lot of injury woes here. Um, I know that the Eagles don't really have an appealing looking outlook entering week one. What I will say is I think they only really need to go two and two in the first month of the season to really set themselves up for success for the following months. Um, you know, they're going to play the Washington, which still seems kind of not very good uh, on paper. Um, and I still think the Eagles are a much better team, even with all their injuries. Then they'll face the Rams, who will be coming from the West Coast. Yes, the Eagles won't have their home field advantage, but the Rams, uh, I don't think, are as good as advertised. I think Aaron Donald's going to be a problem. Uh, But outside of that, I'm not really all that concerned. I think the secondary is better than it used to be. I think they'll be able to do well against uh, the Rams wide receivers. And then they play the Bengals, who are not very good either. So there's a good chance that they could start off two and one or three and zero, oh, and that before they head to San Francisco to face what seems like an absolute pounding that they might take. But you never know uh, with this Doug Peterson team. So 
Uh, I, I think it's important to have perspective. I also think this is a team that's even prior to the injuries I had at nine and seven, ten and six. Um, I don't know if they're necessarily the favorites for the division, but I think they will contend. I think it's going to be a lot like the last couple of years, but not for the same reasons. I think the struggles will be a little bit different this year. I, I have a lot of confidence in the secondary. Um, I have a lot of confidence in the defensive front, but the offensive line is a problem and they will go as far as their offensive line really kind of protects Carson Wentz. So I think that's going to be an issue moving forward for, you know, all of your Eagles news, you can turn to the sports section of NJ.com. Um, please download us and, and rate us wherever podcasts are available. We're around. You can sign up for Eagles extra. Um, it's it, the links in all of our articles, two free weeks. You get, a lot of content from Chris and myself. We will send you articles. We will send you an exclusive analysis, exclusive news, exclusive quotes from press conferences and from interviews. So just sign up for that. You can text us at, at any time and we'll get back to you. Um, you know, we've really enjoyed having Chris on the beat. It's been fun. We've got a lot of great feedback. Make sure to send us your questions on YouTube, your questions and reviews and your questions on Eagles Extra. I'm Mike K with Chris Franklin. We'll see you soon. 